1 Samuel 17. Same, same passage of scripture that we had last week. Um, last week I spoke on a subject entitled Between a Rock and a Hard Place. And I used the life of David as he went up against Goliath. You know, when David came to the camp to bring food to his brothers, um, they were between a rock and a hard place. Uh, they had Goliath on one side, who was anywhere from 9 to 11 feet tall, issuing a challenge to them, saying, send one of your guys out and fight me, and if he beats me, why, well, we'll serve you, and if I beat him, you serve us. Or, uh, the hard place was they could have taken off and running, because they were afraid, in which case, if the Philistines would have beaten them, they would have wound up uh, being killed and serving the Philistines. And so David, when he came, he was in the same position that the army was. He faced Goliath on one side and, and uh, you know, the army on the other. And, but he had a different outcome. And I had mentioned uh, last week that he did three things that changed that outcome. The first thing he did was he reminded himself of what God had done for him in the past. And whenever we do that, whenever we remind ourselves of what God has done for us, it takes our mind off of the problem and we begin to see how big God really is and how little our problem is. And number two, it strengthens and encourages us. The second thing that David did was he refused to allow himself to be distracted by worldly knowledge and methods. And if you remember the story that um, uh, Saul tried to give David his armor and, and tell David, well here David, you're just a boy, here put my armor on and, and I can just kind of see that, you know. And David refused to do that. He said, I can't take these, I haven't proven them. And whenever we decide to follow God's way or God's principles or, uh, or God's plan, there will always be someone trying to get us to listen to human reasoning. But human reasoning will cause us to only see the existing conditions and the things that can be perceived with our senses and leave us trapped within the confines of, of what is humanly possible. In other words, we simply shut out God. That's what we do. We did well, you know, this is the way it is. And the third thing David did was he used what he had. Um, you know, he went to the, he went to the uh, brook and he picked up five stones. He had a sling. That's what he had. He used what he had. Um, at your physical birth, God has placed within you uh, wonderful gifts and abilities. And when you receive Christ as your Savior, when you make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And He is there to empower, to, to, um, uh, to enhance those gifts and abilities that God has already put inside of you. And plus you have the Word of God. And so as a child of God, you have everything you need to succeed and be a winner to overcome every obstacle through Jesus Christ. You really do. But David did these three things. But David did something else. There was something else that David did before he picked up those pebbles from the brook. And what he did is an excellent example for you and I, even if we're not between a rock and a hard place. Uh, go to 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to read a few verses of scripture. I'm going to start in verse 33. Now David has said, 
uh, I'm going to go fight this giant. Okay, so that's where we're at. And so uh, they take David to King Saul. And the King Saul said to save David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are a youth, and he is a man of war from his youth. I've been doing this, David, since before you were born. You don't know what you're doing. Gee, I wonder if any of us have ever heard that. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb out of its mouth, and when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. And your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine. And that word uncircumcised is, was a physical mark that the men took to show that they were serving Jehovah God, the God of Israel. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing as he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then I want to drop down to verse 40. Then David took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had and his sling was in his hand. And he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came now you got to remember, David was in his early teens. And he wasn't very big, and here's, here's Goliath, somewhere between 9 and 11 feet tall. And so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know that the God does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord, and he will give you into our hands. Whew, that's pretty good reading. David is not only reminding himself of what God has done for him, but he's doing something else. He's giving praises to God. See, verse, the God who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, he'll rescue me from this Philistine. David is not only reminding himself of what God's done, he is giving praise to to God. Now, the Bible mentions seven types of praise, and I don't want to go into those. You have um, to'adah, which is sacrifice of praise, yada, which is hands raised. And by the way, if you're a Hebrew scholar, uh, don't laugh. If you say it differently, don't, you know. Uh, barak, which is a quiet, uh, a quiet voice. 
uh, halal, which is your soul rejoicing, zamar, which is just praise through an instrument. And if you've never heard that, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh, when you see people that uh, do that. And you have Tahila, which is a sing-along praise. And you have Shabak, which is shout for joy. Those are seven different types of praise. But the Bible definition of praise is to boast, to rave about someone or something. To celebrate the goodness or the excellence of someone or something. And that's what David is doing. And although it would be years before David would pen his first psalm, David is giving praise to God. David is boasting about, about God and God's goodness to him. That's what he's doing. And I wonder if David wasn't taking a page out of Jewish history. Because see, Oftentimes, in times past, the people from the tribe, when Israel would go out to war, they would take the people from the tribe of Judah. Now the word Judah actually means praise. And did you know that uh, Jesus came from the lineage of David, the tribe of Judah? And he, you know, and so anyway, what they would do is when they would go out to war, oftentimes, they would take the tribe of Judah and put them in front and they would sing songs and they would be praising as they went to battle and God would give them the victory. Now sometimes that victory would be just a flat battle and they would slew all of their enemies. But there would be other times when, when they would send the praisers out first like in Second Chronicles 20. And all of a sudden, before they ever got there, God would turn the enemy upon himself. In other words, God would work on their behalf because they were praising him. And in Second Chronicles, there's a wonderful story about how the enemy just turned upon themselves and killed each other. Or maybe um, there would be times like in Second Kings 7, where God would make the army of Israel sound like it was... Five and six and eight and ten times greater than it was. In 2 Kings chapter 7, it said that the enemy army heard all of these chariots and horses. And they said to themselves, well, they've gotten help. And they ran. But God gave them the victory. Or God, God would have Israel's army uh, have a plan that would scare the enemy so bad that they would run in terror. And this is one of my favorites. In Judges uh, 7, they had a little over 30,000 people in the army of Israel. And they had a huge, huge, huge army out there. And with this over 30,000 men that Israel had, God said, you've got too many. If you go out there and fight and win, you're going to take the glory. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you, now you're, imagine you're the, you're the army of, you're the commander of the army, and God says to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell all your guys who are afraid they can go home. And so he does that. 22,000 left, went home. And there was only 10,000 left. And then God said, well, you still got too many. And so God says, here's what I want you to do. We're going to take them to the brook, and we're going to let them drink. And those that drink like a dog, in other words, they're lapping with their lips, and they're keeping an eye on what's going on. Those you mark, 
But the ones that just kind of do this, you know, they're just putting in their hands and they're not paying attention to what's going on. You send them home. He sent 9,700 of the 10,000 left home. In other words, he only had 300 left. Now, can you imagine being commander of that army? But you know what God said to do? He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to surround them. Maybe I ought not to tell you, make you read it. But it's really a good story. He said, I want you to surround this army. And he said, I'm going to give you a picture. And inside the picture, I want you to put a candle, a light. And you don't make a sound. And then when I tell you to, I want you to break the picture, and I want you to shout. And they did. You know what happened? The enemy ran in terror and fled. Fled. See, praise. And that's what they would do. And I'm wondering if maybe, remember, I'm wondering if David didn't take maybe a page out of their history. And he was not only reminding himself of what God had done for him in the past, but David is doing more than that. He's giving praise to God. And although, like I said, David, it would be years before David would pen a psalm. Years later, David would write in Psalm 22 and 3, God inhabits, lives in the praises of his people. And that word inhabits or is enthroned in comes from the Hebrew word yashab. And it means to sit down, to dwell to remain. So in other words, God sits down. He remains in the presence of his people. And throughout the Bible, whenever and wherever God's people praise him, God inhabits and enthrones himself among those who praise him. And he does miraculous things on their behalf. We see evidence of that in the New Testament. Um, and when Paul and Silas uh, were in jail, go to, with me to Acts chapter 16. Let's just go there real quickly. Acts 16. Now Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. And I'm going to start in verse 25. And by the way, they were innocent. I know everybody in jail always says they're innocent, but Paul and Silas were innocent. And in verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Why, what a miracle! I mean, God's living within... The, the, the praises of his people. He's inhabiting them. But you know what? God, that, that's just like our God. He doesn't just loosen their chains. God, when he comes on the scene, when you're praising God, he doesn't just come on the scene. Look what else goes on. Everyone's chains were loosened. And the keeper of the prisoner, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, 
And he ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? God didn't just open the prison, uh, free them from prison. He saved the head jailer. God does miraculous things whenever and wherever God's people praise him. But that's not enough. Let me tell you something. God's a God of more than enough. Let's go on. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to this head jailer and to all who were in his house. And the head jailer took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family, all his family were brought were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with all his household. I mean, God didn't just open the prison doors. God opened the prison doors and saved the head jailer and his family. And not only that, but they nursed their wounds and fed them. In other words, let me repeat myself. Whenever and wherever God's people praise him, God reigns, God sits in, God inhabits among those that praise him. And he does miraculous things on their behalf. Miraculous things. Listen, life can be a battle. I talked about how the Jewish people would go out and fight battles. Life can be a battle. You know, the Apostle Peter said, uh, be careful. Because be watchful for your enemy, the Satan, goes about as. Didn't say he is a roaring lion. It says as a roaring lion looking for someone that he might devour. Now, um, in John, Jesus said that Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Life can be a battle. Let's be truthful. And Jesus said this, in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. Some translations say tribulations. But take heart, I've conquered the world. You know that word, tribulations, philipsis in the Greek, and it means pressure, figuratively and literally pressure. It means anguish, burdened, trouble. And Jesus said, hey, in this godless world, you're going to face pressure. You're going to face anguish. You're going to face burdens. You're going to face trouble. But in the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the burdens, in the midst of having an enemy that comes at you like a warring lion, and everything else the world can throw at you, God's will for you is that you have peace. That you have peace. Peace that comes straight from the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ himself. The peace that he paid for upon Calvary. Isaiah 53 and 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace. The punishment. He took the punishment so that we could have peace. You know what that word means in the Hebrew? The chastisement for our peace. That word peace in the Hebrew means safe. Well happy, health, prosperity, shalom. In the midst 
of this, whatever this world can throw at us, God's will for you is that you have peace. That you have peace. This is one of the reasons the night that Jesus was born, the angel said, peace on earth. The Prince of Peace would come and put, be able to position us 33 and a half years later so that we could know that peace that he brought with us. I want to challenge you this morning. Even if you're not between a rock and a hard place, I want to place a challenge before you. If you start your day with a devotion, I'd like you to take three minutes, just three, and spend some time praising the Lord. Just three. And if you do your devotion later in the day, then put aside three minutes in the morning to praise God. Well, pastor, what... what what do I do? It's simple. You don't, don't have to have flowery words. You don't have to know Webster's Dictionary. It can be simple. Lord, I just want to thank you for what you've done for me in the past. And name a few things. Or you could say, Lord, you know, I just want to thank you for your son, Jesus. I want to thank you, God, that he's given me eternal life. Lord, you know what? I want to thank you that I've got a better covenant based on better promises. Did you know... Did it ever occur to you, and I'm sure it has, but that we have a covenant. Now, a covenant is a will. But Jerry, we've got a covenant with the creator of heaven and earth. A covenant. And it's a will, and a will doesn't go into effect till somebody died, and Jesus died in the natural. But he made a covenant between the creator of heaven and earth based on better promises for mankind, and I'm part of mankind. How good is that? God, I thank you. I got a better covenant based on better promises. God, you know what, Lord? I'm thankful. Thank you that you haven't dealt with me according to my sins. I'm glad he hasn't dealt with me according to my sins. I'm not going to ask you if you're glad, but I am. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your integrity. You know, you keep your word. Just three minutes. And if you can't do that, maybe you could go to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all my iniquities. God, thank you. You forgive me for all my iniquity. All I have to do is repent my sins. You said if I confess my sin, I confess my sin. And you said you'd never remember him again. Who heals all my diseases. God, I thank you. I thank you that Jesus, you yourself, you didn't send a turtle dove or a bullock. You yourself were wounded for my transgressions. You were bruised for my iniquities. Lord, thank you. You heal all my diseases. You redeem my life from destruction. Lord, I thank you that when I said I, I, I can believe in my heart that God had raised Jesus from the dead and I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Father, you've translated me out of the kingdom of darkness. I'm a new creation. I'm born of God. I'm born of your spirit. Thank you for that. Sin no longer is in control of my life. And then if that wasn't enough, the Bible says in Psalm 103, God, you crown me with loving kindness and tender mercies. How good is that? I mean, 
And then you satisfy my mouth with good things so my youth is renewed like the eagles. And if that's not enough, you know what, God, I thank you. I've been declared righteous. You know, that's something I still have trouble with. But God has declared me righteous and right standing with him. Just because of faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to challenge you this morning. Take three minutes, three minutes a day at the start of your day. You know what? It'll change your life for the better. Just get alone. If sometimes um, uh, married couples, if they're not used to praying together, sometimes they have a problem with that. I know when Sherry and I started praying together 49, 50 years ago, you know, it was a, we were a little unease. If you have to get alone, but get alone. Just for three minutes a day. You know what? Psalm 22 and 3. God lives in. He inhabits the praises of his people. And you know what? You'll be surprised what the Lord will do on your behalf. David praised the Lord. And he killed the giant. Well... I know you haven't got some 11 foot ugly guy facing you, but that problem you are facing and that you might face sometimes might look that way. But when God comes on the scene, he'll do miraculous things as we begin to praise him. Let's pray. Lord, I love your word. Your word gives us such good examples of, of things that we can do in life to position ourselves to receive your goodness, to receive the things that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. So that, Lord, we just, the enemy runs in, in, in terror. He flees. When he comes at us, we just raise our hands and begin to praise you. And it just baffles him, confuses the enemy. How good is that? Lord, as we leave here today, Lord, let us resolve in our heart that we're just going to take three minutes a day and begin to praise you and watch your faithfulness. Watch you come on the scene. Lord, I thank you. And then, Lord, we praise you that we can meet downstairs for a business meeting. And we thank you for the faithful people who serve. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.